It's good to be with you all today. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina, and we uh, know that there are many places you could have chosen to worship today, but we're really glad that you decided to worship here at Firewell Bible Fellowship. Let's give our worship team a hand for their ministry every Sunday. Uh, you know, it's, an it's a great opportunity to serve with such a great team. So today we are beginning a new series in the book of Ephesians. And I love this book because the book of Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus, really does encapsulate a number of different things. The book is all about what God does for us as the people of God. It reminds us who we are in Him, and it also tells us how to live for Him. Uh, the book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, and it's interesting the relationship that Paul had with this church. For a brief period of time at the end of his second missionary journey, and then for a period of more than two years during his third missionary journey, Paul was able to minister to this church. He was very well acquainted with the church at Ephesus. This was a church that was near and dear to the Apostle Paul's heart. The book of Ephesians breaks into two really nice sections for us. The first three chapters of Ephesians are kind of like the theological, or like, let me say, it's Paul teaching us doctrine. He's teaching us, he's, he's, he's opening up the scriptures and he's bringing about these theological concepts and ideas, and he's teaching us doctrine. The last three chapters of the book really break into what we call duty. Then Paul's telling us, what do we do with this stuff that we have learned? What does it mean to live out the Christian life? It's kind of the practical application side. So it kind of divides for us really nice and evenly, directly in half. We have this doctrine, and then we have our duty as believers, as we are maturing in our faith in Jesus. What does it mean to become the true people of God? More than any of his other letters, the, uh, in really in line with the book of Romans, it reads more like a formal teaching letter than some of the other letters that Paul wrote to other churches. So my goal for us today in launching this new series is we're going to try to get all the way through chapter 1. we got a lot of groundwork to cover. But in chapter 1, Paul is going to tell us that as believers in Jesus, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. So what are these spiritual blessings that we have received as believers in Jesus? What is available to us that, that Christ makes accessible to us in the heavenly realms because we find ourselves in Him? So let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer and then we will jump right in and get into today's message. So Lord, we are grateful that those that have been called out of the world and called into the body and are now part of you that have responded in faith, that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And Lord, I pray that as today as we explore those, as we open up your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, give us a heart to receive, and I pray that you will, uh, that by your spirit, that you will teach us through your word today. And may you take this broken vessel and may my words not be mine, but be yours, Lord, and that they would glorify you today, that our eyes and attention would be directed up towards you. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, amen. Now, I'm sure like you, many of you, like me, have many different forms of memberships, whether it's AARP, whether it's AAA, whether it's whatever type of membership, we all have all these different kind of membership. And membership gives you a different level of access 
when you are part of a member of a specific group or retail chain or whatever the case may be. So let me tell you about one of my favorite memberships. You know that you have reached the peak of adulthood when going into Costco becomes a thing that you really enjoy. And we got any Costco members out there? How many Costco folk we got out there? All right. We got some Costco folk. Those are the holy sanctified folk going to Costco. Amen. Hallelujah. We got any Sam's folks out there? Y'all can raise your hands. Uh, we'll pray for you. That's okay. You know, but... Uh, but Costco, I got, you know, you get the membership. And like you feel like real important when you walk into Costco, you walk into Sam's, right? There's the guy or the woman guarding the door with the little counter behind them. And then they're like, you got to show the identification to get in. So you walk in so you can spend some money, right? So you walk into Costco and you get, you're all happy and you get certain benefits that come as being a member of Costco. I got that black card so I get the cash back and all this other different stuff. And so I get permission and I am granted access to certain benefits that only come as being a member of that particular organization. It's not like somebody off the street could just walk into Costco unless they're going to pay the fee to be part of the club to be able to get access to the benefits that Costco wants to give them. So as a member, I have access to certain benefits. Now Paul is going to tell us that as believers in Jesus, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places so that the blessings of God that are found in Christ that are located in the heavenly realm where Jesus deposited these blessings for us because we are now in Christ, we are able to access those benefits because we belong to his kingdom, we have membership to a heavenly kingdom. And as members of this heavenly kingdom, of this heavenly realm, we now can be able to draw upon those benefits that we are given only because the access fee has been paid for us. And it's been paid through the blood, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we place our faith in him, we are now in him. And so being in him, we are able to access these benefits that he makes available to us. So we are part and members of this heavenly kingdom. My one truth statement for you today is this, that only those in Christ receive the Father's spiritual blessings. Let me say that again. Only those who are in Christ receive the Father's spiritual blessings. The Father wants to give us blessings, but it's only those who are in Jesus that are able to receive these specific kind of blessings because they are spiritual in nature and they only come from being connected to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about those today. And I feel like Paul is going to lay out for us six key spiritual blessings that we're going to try to hit. Six key spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1 that we're going to look at. So let's go ahead and start in the text. We're going to start right at verse 1. So let's go ahead and read verse 1 as Paul introduces and gives a typical greeting in his letter. And here's what it says, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 3, let's just stop there for a moment, tells us a few different things. Number one is it tells us the source of these blessings. It says that these blessings come from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. He's the source. He's where they reside, okay? That's the one who gives us these blessings. But it also tells us something about the substance of these blessings. These are not just any old blessings. These are spiritual in nature. They're spiritual blessings. This is important because a lot of times when we hear the word blessing, we often associate blessing with, Okay, my book looks a little fatter. 
So we associate blessing with money or something else. But here uh, we're, we're described by Paul these specific spiritual blessings that contain a lot more currency than you can ever put in a bank account. These blessings that are going to be bestowed upon believers. Now what is a blessing? That should be your question. It's a word we throw around a lot, but it's a word we take for granted. What, is it, what does it mean to, be, to receive a blessing? A blessing simply is a benefit that is bestowed by God. It's a benefit that's bestowed by God. It's an act of His grace and of His goodness. It's not something that is deserved. It's something that God does of His own accord because He loves us, because He wants to do it. So it is a benefit that is bestowed upon God simply as an act of His favor and His goodness. It's really a grace-given gift that God gives to us. And believers are recipients of every spiritual blessing. That means there is no lack. You do not lack anything in the spiritual life when you come to faith in Jesus. Spiritually speaking, you receive every blessing that you will need to walk this thing, to do this thing called the Christian life. Every single spiritual blessing, there is no lack. So what's the first one? The first one we talked a little bit about last week. The first blessing is found at the beginning of verse 4, and it's that we've been chosen. We've been chosen. So Paul says this, the beginning of verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, I know many of you here are football fans. How many NFL fans we have? Happy that the NFL season, even watching preseason football, right? We got the NFL season rocking and rolling. Now, I like, I'm, I'm kind of next level nerd when it comes to sports. I like watching the draft. So think about the NFL draft for a moment. Okay, think about the NFL draft. The draft happens when college football players are selected to specific NFL teams. These 32 teams belong to a larger organization or a larger kingdom, let's say it that way, called the National Football League. Now, players are chosen because they meet a certain criteria. They have to have played in college a certain amount of years. They have to be a certain age in order for them to even be eligible to be drafted. Because in the case of a prospect, if they do not meet that criteria, then they're not even eligible to be drafted. When they are drafted, they are drafted into a local, a national, and global organization called the National Football League. It has a local, national, and global impact. Now, let's take this and let's, let's transition this, this illustration and make it a little bit more spiritual. God the Father, the one who is the source of these blessings, he's the one who oversees and chooses. He's kind of like the NFL commissioner and a GM combined. He's the one who's making the choice. He's the one who's making sure that the eligible criteria has been met, that faith in Jesus has been met. He's the one who's drawing them into the family. He's the one who's making the choice. God chooses us, that is his people, who place their faith in Jesus. They come into this thing called the church. They're like the players. They're the ones that have been drafted. So they've been drafted into this thing, and this thing we call the church. So they're on a team now. How many of y'all team Jesus? I'm team Jesus here. We got team Jesus, folks. Here, all right, I'm team Jesus. And so we have been drafted into this thing called the church. Now that being said, we are chosen on the basis of Christ being only in him. That means we meet the criteria. We meet the criteria to be drafted into this thing called the church. Why? Because we placed our faith in Jesus. That is the criteria that allows you access then to the benefit that you receive from heaven. Okay? So that's what gets you in. 
So now as I place my faith in Jesus, I am now then able to be part of this thing called the church. It is the criteria for bringing us into the family of God, faith in Christ. And the verse tells us the purpose for this. The purpose that God makes this choice, and it's a plural thing. Notice he uses the word us. He makes this choice because he's making a team that is holy, that means set apart, and that is blameless without fault. And this team is only holy and blameless because they are in Christ. So believers, if you are a believer here today, the first benefit that you need to just worship from the mountaintops is that you have been chosen by God. What a beautiful reality we have been chosen in Christ. Second thing, let's look at the second one. So we have been chosen. The second one is we've been adopted. We've been adopted. Look at the end of verse 4. The end of verse 4 says, in love, and then it goes, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now predestined is a word that a lot of people like to throw around. If you get in theological conversations, there's lots of ideas about what this means. But the reality me it is, is that predestined simply means to decide beforehand. What was decided? Notice again the plural usage, that he predestined us, not an individual, that he predestined us. He's talking about a family that he's building, this thing called the church. So God predestined us, the church, those who had placed their faith in Jesus, to be adopted as sons and daughters. So what's significant about that? What's significant about that is that God does not lack, okay? But God in his infinite wisdom and his will decided, I want to have a family. So God decided in his will to have a family. So what does he do? He brings people into that family. He adopts them as sons and daughters. He doesn't make them second-class citizens. No, he says that you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. When somebody is adopted, they are brought into a new family. When they're brought into a new family, they're given a new name. When they're given a new name, that means they're also given legal rights. They are given rights and all the benefits and privileges that mean to be part of that family. They are not second-class citizens of that family. No, they are a part of that family. They carry the family name. They receive the blessings that come with being part of that family. There's legal rights that are given to them as being part of that family. And when we become God's children, he is our father. We carry his name, and we have the benefits about being part of his family. What a beautiful reality that we are part of his family. Paul could have chosen so many different, and God could have chosen so many different illustrations, and this illustration of family and church and body and all this unified kind of language networking us together is just the, the kind of language that he decided to use. So believers, your second blessing is that you've been adopted, so that means you are children of God. Believers are children of God. Let's look at the third thing. Verse 7, so we have been chosen and we have been adopted. Third thing is that we have been redeemed and we have been forgiven. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So what does it mean when we talk about redemption and when we talk about forgiveness? Well, redemption is this. A freeing from the slavery of sin by the ransom paid through the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ tells us himself in the Gospels, he says that I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. 
So when we are redeemed, that means we are literally purchased back from the slave market of sin. Our king, we have now been transferred from one kingdom into another kingdom, and the price has been paid that is due uh, because of our sin. And that price has been paid by Jesus. He paid that ransom. He now frees us. And in doing so, what results from redemption is forgiveness. They're two sides of the same coin. So forgiveness means that to give up the right to punish someone for a transgression. God doesn't forget our sin, but he makes the choice, Scripture says, to cast it as far as the east is from the west. God makes the choice to not hold that against us. Why? Because we are in Jesus. We have been redeemed. And since we have been redeemed, we are now in Christ. And now being in Christ, we have received his forgiveness. Redemption and forgiveness are expressions of God's grace. And Paul says literally he lavishes upon us. He just showers it with us, over us. He gives us redemption and forgiveness. And it's a beautiful act of his grace. He does not withhold it. And listen, ladies and gentlemen. The sacrifice of Christ was perfect. And the fact that the sacrifice of Christ was perfect means that your redemption and your forgiveness are complete. If you are a child of God here today, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then, you're, then the redemption that we have received and the forgiveness that we receive from God is complete. We do not have to worry about it. Totally redeemable upon death, but our bank account has been wiped clean, our sin account, because of Jesus. He doesn't withhold it. He lavishes it on us. So believers, you have been redeemed and forgiven. What a beautiful blessing that we have been redeemed and forgiven. Blessing number four, we're making good time. Blessing number four, we're looking at spiritual insight. Paul gives, talks about how we as believers are given a special kind of spiritual insight. Look at verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now the word mystery is interesting. A mystery is something that was previously hidden, a truth that has ultimately been revealed, and in this case it's been revealed by God. But what's interesting is that here it says the mystery is only known to us. Us is the people of God, the church, those are who have placed their faith in Jesus. But it's plain to us, but it's not plain to those who are not in Christ. Okay, so this mystery is known to believers, but it's not known and it's misunderstood by those who are not believers. And what is this mystery? I believe the mystery is the content of verse 10. Verse 10 says, for as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things into him, things in heaven and things on earth. I believe the mystery that he's referring to is that the time when God ultimately will make all things right... This time when we call, you know, the end times, when God will make all things right and bring all things in heaven and earth to a fitting conclusion in Christ, when history then is stopped being written on the stage of the human drama, and then God's kingdom fully comes and we fully experience that reality where Christ will be the ruler and head of all things. That mystery is known to us as believers. That mystery is not known to those who are not believers in Jesus, okay? They don't expect the coming king. They don't know what it means to be part of this kingdom. And that is a benefit that we have because God reveals things to his children that only they can know. You don't just go around telling your business to everybody, right? True? Y'all don't just go around just blabbing your business to everybody. You got to have some level of relationship to have some equity to be able to tell, you know, kind of certain things to other individuals, right? And so here we are as God's children and God reveals things to us that he doesn't reveal to those who don't have his spirit, to those who are not part of the people of faith. We are given 
as believers, we are given spiritual insight into God's will. The secret things, the psalm says, are reserved for those who fear him. So God reveals these mysteries to us as the people of God to those who are in faith in Jesus. The fifth blessing that we have is that we've been given an inheritance. Look at verse 11. We've been given an inheritance. So verse 11 says, in him, all this in him language, right? So in Christ, we have, been obta we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now think about an inheritance for a moment. If you've ever been given an inheritance or you've written an inheritance into your own will for maybe to leave for your children, an inheritance is something that is received by one party that is left by another party. When something is inherited, whether it's money, whether it's property, whether it's something else, at the passing of the owner, then ownership is then conferred onto another person where they receive the blessing of that or an organization according to the wishes of the one who was deceased. So a person who is eligible for an inheritance, we call them an heir. They're an heir. So as an heir, they are eligible to be able to receive this promised blessing that is able to come, that is eventually going to come. Now, does not Scripture call believers joint heirs with Christ? Right? We are heirs. We are heirs to this beautiful reality of the blessings that come with God's kingdom. We are heirs to all the benefits of salvation apart from any merit of our own. Because remember, listen to the language. In Him, in Him, in Him, in Him, in Him, in Him. Right? So in Christ is the reason why we are able to receive these benefits of salvation, that we receive this inheritance. It kind of reminds me of when Paul says that we run this race to receive this crown at the end. And this crown of glory is something that we receive because we are in Christ. It's an inheritance. God as a good father has prepared a glorious inheritance for his children. And it's all because of the end of verse 11, as this, uh, verse 12 as it says, for Christ's glory. For his glory, that we receive this inheritance, that he may be known. Believers, if you are here today, you have a glorious inheritance in Christ. What a beautiful reality to that. And the last one where I want to spend a little bit of time camping out on is the last blessing we have received is we have received the Holy Spirit. We have received the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, it says, In him, there's the language again, you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, listen to the way that this language is structured, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee, or some of your translations may say deposit, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you look back at verse 13, as I said, notice the language that he says. First of all, we hear the gospel. It says, when you heard the word of the truth, right? So we hear the gospel. And then it says, you believed in him, right? That's faith. So then we hear, we believe, we are sealed. Let me say that again. We hear, we believe, 
then we are sealed. That's what happens. That's what he's literally saying. So when we hear the gospel, we respond to the gospel. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he's the one who convicts the world of sin and of righteousness. So he's the one drawing us. He's convicting us of sin. When we respond in faith to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we then are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that promise, he basically comes in and takes residence within us. So we hear, we believe, and we are sealed. So I want to demonstrate this for you. Keegan, can we get help now? Sorry. Uh, let me move this. And we're going to demonstrate this for you and kind of expand upon this just a little bit with this illustration that I want to show you. But this is very important. So we hear, we believe, we are sealed. We hear, we believe, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Thank you, guys. Appreciate this. This is show and tell today. So, all right. We'll put it right in front. When I was bringing this in earlier, people were asking me if I was going to do magic tricks. And I was like, nah, I ain't got it like that. So we ain't going to do magic tricks, okay? But we are going to demonstrate this for you to make this very applicable, okay? So, don't worry. I'll show you what all these mean. We're showing you the gospel according to plasticware today. All right? So, the gospel according to plasticware. All right. All right. So, in the old days, what would happen is when a person sent a letter, a person of authority, they would take what was called a signet ring and they would take wax on the back of an envelope or something that sealed the letter. They would impress with their ring that seal into the actual letter. What that seal represented was it represented possession and it represented authority. It meant that that letter was the possession of the one who actually sent it. They were the ones who sent it on their authority. And it showed physically something that was significant. So I want to demonstrate this to you, what Ephesians is basically telling you. Ephesians tells us that we are in Jesus, that we are in Christ. So when we place our faith in Christ, we then, by God, we are placed inside of Jesus. So this is you. So when you place your faith in Christ, you are then transferred into Jesus. It's like you are now in him. So God doesn't see you, he sees you through the lens of his son, okay? But after we come to faith in Christ, Christ told us that he was going to give us a promise. And so when he ascended into heaven, he left for us and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And when he gives us the Holy Spirit, as we read in the text, it is a guarantee and deposit of the future reality of the fullness of our salvation. When we are saved here in the present, we are saved from the power of sin over our life. But ultimately, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin when we are face-to-face -face with our Savior. Okay? But when we place our faith in Christ, we are now put in Him. So you are in Christ. Okay? So we are in Christ. So now, when we are in Christ, this beautiful bucket says the Holy Spirit. What He does then is then He places the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit takes residence inside of us. So the Holy Spirit is inside of you. All right? 
So when we place our faith in Jesus, then Jesus gives us is the guaranteed deposit of this future reality, the one who is the comforter who's going to be with us every single day, who takes resonance within us, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit takes resonance within you at the moment of your salvation. Remember, listen to what he said. He said, we hear, we believe, then we're sealed. So we hear, we believe, place our faith in Christ that puts us in Jesus, and then we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So now, the scripture tells us what? That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, does it not? The Holy Spirit takes residence within you. So God is with you literally in the person of the Holy Spirit. So now he has taken residence within you. So you are now in Christ. And now being in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes residence within you. You are sealed to the day of redemption. You are sealed by Jesus. And Jesus is the one who does all of this. So when Jesus does all of this, and he locks you up, and he seals you in the way that you are, ain't nobody opening this thing except him. Ain't nobody getting to you except him. Okay? You are sealed. You are signed, sealed, delivered. All right? You belong to him. You are his. Ain't nobody, that's why Romans says no one can snatch us from the hand of God. Nothing can separate us from his love. This is very important, ladies and gentlemen. This is very important. And the reason why it's very important is because since we are believers in Jesus and we are given the Holy Spirit upon our salvation, then that means that we can know that we are children of God. We are children of God because we have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us at the moment of salvation. That's what it means when we use this terminology and we say we are baptized by the Spirit. When we are baptized by the Spirit, we are immersed into, we are brought into the family of God. When we are brought into the family of God, it's because we are people who have responded by faith. As we have responded by faith, God then immerses us into this thing called the church. And so as he brings us into the church, we are now part, not individually, we have the Holy Spirit. Corporally, we're expressions of all of us who have the Holy Spirit individually. We are now in this body, this thing that where Christ is the head and he is the one who's taking care of this thing. So that's, he brings us into this beautiful thing called the church. There's something very important to note here. Notice that Paul doesn't say when you are saved, when you hear and then you respond essentially and you are sealed. He doesn't say you're sealed with a portion of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say you get the Holy Spirit on layaway. He doesn't say you get, a, you get a portion of it now and then you get a portion of it later. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't, when we are saved and when we are brought into the family of God, when the Holy Spirit then transfers our residence in our kingdom and now transfers our membership into a new thing called the church, we receive all of the Holy Spirit. Remember he said every spiritual blessing, there is no lack. There is no uh, Holy Spirit on down payment that you're going to get something else later, that you need something else greater than what you received at that point. No, we have the fullness of God dwelling within us bodily through the person of the Holy Spirit at the moment we literally utter the words in faith that Jesus I need you be my Savior be my Lord come into my life and then he says I am going to come into your life I'm going to take residence in you and I'm going to take residence in you through the person of the Spirit that I'm going to give you and it's given in full complete and full you don't need a second helping down the line Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This is really important. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. One body. 
This baptism brings us into this body, this thing we call the church. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, we were all made to drink of one spirit, okay? Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5, and we'll get to this and unpack this in a number of weeks. There is but one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one... What we call to the one hope that belongs to your call, the one Lord, one faith, and then what does he say? One baptism. He doesn't say a second baptism. He doesn't say it's something secondary. He doesn't say it's something that you need, something greater than what you've already received. He doesn't say that somehow you're an inferior Christian until you receive something else that comes along the line. No, he says you have received every spiritual blessing that you have needed and that you are baptized into this one faith. You are baptized into this one church by the one spirit. And he comes completely and fully at that moment. And he never leaves you. He's always with you. We are blessed with every single spiritual blessing that we will need. You are not deficient as a believer. If you are a believer and place your faith in Christ, you have everything you need for the spiritual life. Now, interestingly enough, the scripture does make it very clear that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture makes it very clear that at times we can reject his leading and his prompting. So I think the question is, a lot of times we unfortunately pray, and I think it's a little misguided. I think we pray sometimes, we're like, all right, Lord, give me more of your spirit. And I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying to us, why don't you give me more of you? Listen to what I just said. We say, God, give us more. And what God is saying you already have everything. You just need to yield and you need to stop grieving me. You need to stop getting out of this pattern of sin. You need to actually start listening to me. You need to start opening your life to me. You need to start allowing me to lead and get off the throne of your own heart. It's not a deficiency on his end. It's on our end. It has nothing to do with him. He doesn't lack. We don't lack anything. Okay? I love this quote by Dr. Tony Evans. Let me read this to you. Dr. Tony Evans says this. All of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get as a believer, you received when Jesus baptized you by means of the Spirit into his body at your salvation. The Holy Spirit came up to take permanent residence, I love that, permanent residence in your life at that time. The, Christian, the question is not in the Christian life is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much of you does the Holy Spirit have. Let me say that again. All of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get as a believer, you have received when Jesus baptized you by means of the Spirit into his body at your salvation. The Holy Spirit came to take permanent residence in your life at that time. The question in the Christian life is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? That's the question. It's not a deficiency or lack on God. God gives us every spiritual blessing. Literally, you want to know what every means in the Greek? Every. <laughs> now you're a Greek scholar, okay? So verse 3 literally means everything. So in the Christian life, in Christ, it's only in Jesus. In Jesus, we have everything we need in the spiritual life. These are spiritual blessings, meaning they have to come from another kingdom. They have to come from the spiritual. And they only come by the means and person of Jesus when we place our faith in him, then we are given every spiritual blessing that we need. Let's go ahead and summarize this for you. So our one true statement today was only those in Christ receive the Father's spiritual blessings. Remember, the nature of these blessings are spiritual. They only come to those who are in Jesus. 
These are grace-given kind of things that God wants to give his people. And I named you six in this passage alone. So number one, we were chosen. We were adopted. We've received redemption and forgiveness. We have spiritual insight. We are given an inheritance and we have the Holy Spirit. We should clap about that. That's pretty awesome. Right? As believers in Jesus, this is what we are given. This is who we are. Okay? And it's only because there are blessings that are received in Christ. So how can we put this into practice today? We can put this into practice today, number one, by doing what we should always do when we are in, when we're thinking about and dwelling upon what God has done for us, is that we give him glory. We respond in worship. All of these benefits that Paul reminds us of, it is for the praise of his glory, literally he says. It's for the praise of his glory. Right? So the reason why you've been adopted, the reason why you've been chosen, the reason why you've been in the Holy Spirit is that you may give glory to the one who gave you all of these benefits. That way our hearts and minds would be directed to him. So give him glory for all the spiritual benefits that we have in Christ because this is nothing to do with you. In him, in him, in him, in him, in him. That's what it is. It's only in him, in Christ. So use this list, and I would encourage you, take one of these each day. This week, there's six of them. So that'll take you to next Sunday. All right? Take one each day and just thank God for that. When you're in your personal prayer time, you know what I mean? You thank God, thank God, thank you that I'm chosen. Because I know that I was living a life of sin and there's no way I would have chosen you of my own accord. Thank you for convicting me of sin and bringing me into your family. And just use it as an act of worship. And just go through this list. And then secondly, since we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians, I would encourage you to spend some time there. Just start reading through it. Start notating things that you are seeing. Start notating maybe even questions that you have. Things that, uh, that are speaking to you and things that are standing out to you as you read through the book. Take some time not only to journal through it, to write some notes to it. Keep a, keep a notebook next to you as you read. And before you read, this is what I would encourage you to do. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he illuminates the word of God to us. So I would encourage you before you even start and just say, Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see and give me a heart to receive. And would you open up the scripture for me today as I sit here with you and want to dwell with you. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that we have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we just saw six incredible spiritual blessings that we are given. But I believe that even these six is not meant to be exhaustive. It's just so unsearchable and so unfathomable what it means to truly be in you, Jesus. What does it mean to be a child of God and to receive all of these wonderful, rich spiritual blessings that we have? God, may we never take them for granted. May we always return to you, them, in praise as you want us. It's for the praise of his glory, for Christ's glory. So may we, as we even dwell upon them, reflect it back in praise to you that you may be glorified. And Lord, we cannot receive these spiritual blessings, first of all, if our spirit has not been made right, if we have not come to faith in Christ, because all of these are in Christ. And so Lord, I pray that if there's a person under the sound of my voice today who has not made, and I've not placed their faith in you, and not made that transition to be in Christ, to be in part of your kingdom, I pray that today is the day of salvation for them. And Lord, I pray that they would recognize that you are the one who lived the perfect life, who came to this earth, who died upon the cross for their sins, who is buried and rose again, and that you want to make them a new creation if they would just place their faith in you. So I pray that if that's you today, then you could simply just pray and you could say, God, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you was buried and you rose again. 
Come into my heart and make me a new creation in you and help me to live every day for you by your grace and through the power of your spirit. So Lord, I pray that you will just help seal this word in our hearts and may we be more sensitive to the leading guiding of your spirit every day. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, amen. Amen. All right, so next week we are going to jump into, amen. So next week we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at what I like to call BC days, the days before Christ, and then the days after Christ. What does it mean? Well, what was our position before we came to Jesus, and what does it look like after we come to Christ? And so I want to encourage you to read that ahead. I'm going to get you all to stand. And uh, typically we always finish at Firewall with a benediction, I, and I introduced a new one last week. But we're actually going to do something slightly different today, because if you read this passage, this passage closes with a prayer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the last seven verses of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 25, because it's a benediction. And we're going to pray this over you as we leave. So we're literally going to read the words of Paul and listen to this beautiful prayer that he prays over the church at Ephesus. So here we go, beginning at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to those who, toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule, all authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and has given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. God bless you guys. We'll see you all next week. Have a great one.